Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Transatlantic Crime. What have you been up to since your cousin's been with you? So we've been going on a little food tour. On Friday, we got tacos. Yesterday, we went to like a rooftop bar restaurant type place in Venice. Take me to a rooftop bar in Venice. Of course. (laughs) Yes, definitely. It's so Um, cold here, Rachel. (laughs) It's just so cold. Oh, man. Well, I think it's cold here, too, but it's not. It's really not. It's not. Simply not. (laughs) If you saw me right now, if our listeners saw right now, I'm wearing a hoodie, I have my blankets on, and my cousin is sitting in the other room, and she has, like, shorts and a t-shirt on. So Well, my heart fucking bleeds for you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what the temperature is today? It's In England, it's six degrees centigrade, which is... In yeah, Fahrenheit. I think that's like 38 or something Fahrenheit. Six degrees 40. C. Let's Google this in Fahrenheit. My dad was like, stop saying Google. Like, stop advertising Google. I was like, Dad, you're literally the only person in the world who fucking cares. It's so it's 42.8 Fahrenheit. Okay. I was close. Yeah, you, you were close. Yeah. Um, chilly. It's fucking chilly. We went for a nice uh, walk on the beach today with a dog. There were like a thousand dogs on the beach. And when Aww. I say beach, I mean like barren landscape with wood and seaweed everywhere. And the sea was about 25 miles out <laughs> <laughs> with just the bitter wind for company. Oh. When I say the nice, beach, though. I mean the beach in Moby Dick, not like <laughs> pa- paradise. <laughs> There's The ocean is there and that's it. It ain't Bora Bora, but it's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I want to finish our food tour. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. rooftop restaurant. I got these pancakes that had beer in them. They tasted what? like beer. Uh, and then today, or no, last night, I didn't want to cook. So we ordered pizza. Yeah. Um, and I ordered this amazing pizza, a salad, some cheesy garlic bread, just this big order. And then when wow. the order came, it was completely wrong, and it was a tiny cheese pizza and, like, a side dish. I was so angry, and I was like, who orders a cheese pizza, a tiny cheese pizza? Nobody. Some, like, some sort of fucking sadist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was so angry, so I just, like, redid the order and got my money back, and That's we got our amazing. order really late. Yeah. Um, and then today we got donuts and my cousin oh, got yeah. a donut the size of her head. Nice, uh, like Homer when he huge. turns into a donut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we'll probably more. Korean barbecue? We were going to do that, but we did Ooh, the rooftop a lot of bar meat, restaurant right? instead. It's a lot of meat. Yeah. Okay. I don't think my stomach is ready for that yet. Maybe when you <laughs> yeah. come out, then we'll do it. Fuck yeah. They have to ask yeah. me twice. <laughs> yeah, Carly cooked us a roast today and it was 
she did chicken wrapped in bacon, which is just the best Ooh, of all the meats. Like is. chicken wrapped in more meat. It was oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And then we, but we had that after we had a really chilly beach walk, so it just felt really wholesome. Like you earned it. Yeah, I really earned it. Yeah, we were also watching a program. Um, if you're in England, you can watch it on BBC iPlayer about um stalking. Okay. It's really good. Uh, I haven't finished the second episode yet because I had to come record, but it's Stacey Dooley, who is basically like, she's a documentary maker, much like Louis Theroux. Like, she just goes Mm -hmm. into places and talks to people. Like, she's, I used to find her really annoying, but I've kind of warmed to her now because she kind of just like, (laughs) she's got a really, really Essexy accent and she just says stuff like, so what's it like living on the streets <laughs> like to like kids and stuff and you're just like stop asking obvious questions <laughs> like, yeah really now, basic questions i think her edit her editors have got better now and they edit out like the stupid shit that she asks so like now i'm like it's actually a good program or maybe she's like learned okay. not to be so like i don't know maybe she's done some sort of course but she's yeah, yeah. much better much better now she kind of lets the people talk rather than ask okay. them but yeah there's a fucking crazy stalker guy who like lived in some woman's shed and they only like found out like a while later like what what is that show called just stalkers uh, it's well the series is called like stacy dooley investigates oh, okay you could okay. probably google it and find it yeah yeah oh and me and carly are off to poland next weekend for yeah. a trip so Amazing. if any of our listeners have any uh poland recommendations we're going to krakow then yeah. send them in. Can we do like a uh, an episode next week? You could do like a story from Poland. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and we're going on Carly's birthday and obviously Auschwitz is really close to Poland. Uh, really, sorry, really close oh, to Krakow. Oh, jeez, happy birthday. I know, right? She was like, when should we do it? I was like, not on your actual birthday. Like, yeah, don't. I've been, like, I, I've been to a death camp once and it, right. like, I'm glad I did because obviously it's a really important part of our history, but yeah. fuck me, it's not a day. Like, it's no, not the day out. Not for your birthday. It's no Disneyland. <laughs> I was like, let's. She was like, what about the day after my birthday? I was like, I wouldn't recommend that either. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe like the day before so that your birthday seems super fun. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's You're celebrating your life. Yeah, exactly. Things could have been a lot worse. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, have a great time. I mean, you'll talk about it next week because we'll record right before you go. Yeah, I will definitely um, tell everyone all about it. But they also have this bar that's like made out like a spaceship and you can like play like video games and you're like you're in a spaceship. (laughs) So (laughs) I look forward to that. And shots are a pound. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Is it Poland really? It's pretty cheap, right? Yeah, so one Polish, I think it's called a Zlotli or Zlotl, someone will correct me, Um, but one of those is worth like 18 pence, 18 English pence, so I'm going to say it's 20p, so that I can like do it by like times, time. so like five Zlotli is a pound, you know? Yes. Make it in my head like easy. Yes. Yeah, and then then when you work it out, it's even cheaper than you thought it was, it's like two pence cheaper. So you're saving money after all. Well, our hotel for four days for two people was like 200 quid. Not bad. 
And it's like plush, like right by the river, really nice. Amazing. You're going to have yeah, so much fun, so other than I, Auschwitz. And I love cold countries. That will be a different... You love cold countries? Yeah, I hate... I don't. hate walking around in the heat. Like, a fucking... I'm the sweatiest person alive. I I'm chafe. exactly <laughs> the opposite. I, You're Irish. I the... like, what are you doing? I've spent enough time in the cold and the wind and the rain. Put me in the sun. Put me in 100 degrees. I will no. be happy. Yeah. No, I can't handle it. I get really tetchy. Hey, we're going to Joshua Tree. I'm sorry to say, but Joshua Tree is hot. Yeah, I'm going to be in a bikini covered in talcum powder the whole holiday. <laughs> so look forward to that. <laughs> we're just going to an old school rodeo and you're just sitting there in your bikini Tal- talking myself <laughs> people be like why is she like whiting up like no yeah. she just has to do that for health reasons <laughs> yeah she's british it's fine i'm gonna get like suntan lotion and uh talcum powder and make it into some sort of paste <laughs> like skiers have but for my whole body i won't Amazing. be bringing clothes i'll just be yeah. wearing my talc outfit yeah just these big <laughs> jars of talcum sunscreen (laughs) that's all i'll be fit to wear rachel i'm fucking disgusting so look out for our shop where we'll be selling that concoction (laughs) good luck baby right okay (laughs) let's let's crack along so the yeah um, let's get into our episode this week which is so bigamists bigamists yeah i kind of like this because it's you know, sometimes it can be quite lighthearted. Obviously, it's not that funny if it's yeah. you that's getting married to and lied to, but it's definitely not as bad as people having their heads fucking chopped off and stuff. So, you know, well, it's a bit of a lighter one. Unless not yours for me. is horrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, basically, right, you know, when you don't remember that you've seen something before and then you watch it and you're like, I've seen this. Yes. Right? So, there's all the docu- time. Yeah, so this is a documentary, because I, I basically said, like, just Googled worst bigamist in England, and this woman popped up, right? And mm-hmm. I, I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's a documentary about it, I'll watch that. And then um, I was like, I've fucking seen this before. And it was like, on one of those days where you just spend all day, like, just watching YouTube after YouTube yeah. after YouTube. <laughs> and this came on, and I was like, oh my god, she's a maniac, right? So, let me just get, it's so, like, she all is... Right the most cringe person and i would i'll send you a link to the documentary i highly recommend you watching it please okay Okay. so emily horn was born on the 9th of december 1978 her father said that she was a fast learner and a very intelligent child and he couldn't have asked for a better daughter when she was 12 her parents split up and for six months she lived with her mother emily then said her mother marion accused her father of sexually abusing her Emily's mother said it was a consensual sexual relationship between her and her father. So, Uh, like, already she's not... There's no such thing. There isn't, no. But already we're getting off to a weird relationship with men. Like, so Emily's mother said... Yeah, so sorry. um, Apparently Emily went to the doctor. This is at 12. Apparently Emily went to the Mm. doctors and demanded a physical exam to prove that she wasn't being abused. Which is okay. a bit strange for a twelve-year-old to, yeah, know. I wouldn't even know to say no. that to demand, at right? Yeah. So she said her mother was just being malicious, 
Um, also, the, so the county council like investigated this um, accusation and they concluded that there was nothing in it. So fine. So Emily then left her mother's home um, <laughs> in the documentary. <laughs> She's so pretentious and like contrived and she goes, I'm not proud of myself, but I backhanded her and then I left. <laughs> the mom or Emily? No, a 12-year-old backhanded her own mom and then left. <laughs> okay, that was her saying that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she smacked her mum around the face and left. <laughs> and according then, to her, though. According sure. to her, yeah. She's a yeah. mental liar. Um, so her dad remarried. And then Emily had a really good relationship with her stepmom. Her dad said that he noticed a change in her behaviour when, when he got remarried. And then she would leave the house for days and then she started to tell lies. He said she seemed to be living in some sort of fantasy world. He didn't believe a word she said and they started to grow apart. Okay. So after finishing high school, she went on to study physics and electronics at Leeds Metropolitan University. She was accepted onto the course, but she never started it. And then she joined the Royal Irish Regiment, which is an infantry regiment of the British Army. So that basically mm -hmm. means like foot soldiers. Like you're not... Okay. You're not fixing cars. You're not a parachutist. You're not... You're just literally on the ground, is what it means. You're patrolling um, the streets of Belfast, probably, at that time. Yeah. 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 Um, so she married her first husband, Paul Rigby, in December 1996. They were married at York Registry Office the day after 80... Sorry, the day after Emily's 18th birthday, following a whirlwind romance. They met while she was on leave from the Royal Irish Regiment. So like you say, probably okay. on leave from Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, five months later, they they split up and he moved to Northern Ireland. The couple lost touch when he, put, when he was posted away and they were separated, but they never got divorced. So using the name Emily Leconte and describing herself as a student physicist, she then moved to Leeds. Okay. And then while she so she bounces about quite a bit. Um yeah. then while she was living in Leeds in 1999, she married a man called Sean Cunningham, but she had never divorced Rigby. Mhm. Mm so they met in a pub where she was a barmaid. He's okay. in the documentary and he's just like I don't know, say like <laughs> I'm trying to think of a like not horrible way to say this, but Okay. He's not the best looking guy you've ever seen. Like, okay. he's a, a bit nerdy, a bit skinny, like, not yeah. like girls would pay him a lot of attention. So I think mm. she kind of saw that and she tends to grasp onto people who are probably a bit unpopular with the ladies. Okay. So, so they're already like, maybe have a vulnerable. little bit of low self esteem and yeah. she bigs Very them up shocked. and attracts them. Very shocked that a woman is giving them this much attention, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's really like, and they are nice guys as well. Like, they're really yeah. sweet guys. None of them are horrible. Um, so she, they went on a date. Um, they went 10 pin bowling. And Sean said that he fell for her utterly. He said she was intriguing, beguiling, and he had never had that type of attention before. And that he was very flattered. So what they did have... she look like? Was she pretty? Um, now or is she pretty. Now she is. 
she's got like a short kind of it looks like just like a crappy teenage boy's haircut of mousy brown hair yeah. and dresses like shit but back when she was 18 she had yeah. blonde hair and she wore like quite provocative clothes and she was okay she was a lot more attractive yeah. now she seems and she to just... sounds like she, she sounds like she was outgoing as yeah. well so yeah she just charmed the guys i'm sure yeah like she's definitely stopped caring what she looks like Whereas, like, back then okay. you could tell she put a lot of effort into her looks. Okay. Yeah, they'd been together for about two or three weeks when she mentioned getting married. As she was a devout Catholic and she would she didn't like the idea of having sex without being married. Okay. So, <laughs> Sean claimed that he wanted to spend the traditional one-month salary on the ring and then he would propose. So she was like, okay. So he was at work and she called him and asked him to meet her at the pub. He did, and as he walked up to the bar, he couldn't see her anywhere, and the barman said, Here's, there's a note here for you. So Emily had left a ring on top of a table, on top of a note, that said, you know what to do. <gasps> what? <laughs> so he oh turned around. Oh my gosh. That's what, Talissa, <laughs> that's what you have to do now. Fuck off, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was like literally just getting tips off this mentalist. <laughs> you so, know what to do. You know what to do. That's that could be like the to- the tone on that is so interpretable. It's either yeah. you know what to fucking do or like right. you know what to do. Like yeah. it could be so you different. You know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so he turned around and um she was there. And she then claimed that she was pregnant. So Sean's family didn't believe her. And this is because Sean's mother had had six children. So she asked when he had first slept with Emily and he told her it was three days before she announced her pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. her mum was like, that's not how it works. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot Um, know that nowhere so i wish you could but you can't so a week late a week later emily claimed that she'd lost the baby i think you just had your period sounds like yeah um anyway she also claimed that her father had died which the family later found out was a lie when confronted she said that they had a huge falling out and she didn't want to talk about it so she just said that he was dead all right yeah um drama i mean yeah she loves it so emily was badgering sean to go to the registry office to get married and she said she wanted no friends or family there um just those two and he told her that he didn't want to do it that way and then emily claimed that none of her family spoke to one another and she didn't want to get married in a ceremony where all of his friends and family were there and none of hers were there so in the end she got her own way and they got married in a ceremony with just a few friends at a registry office okay so and none of those friends knew that she was married before? Nope. Because she got okay. married in Ireland and then she moved to Leeds. So she's like oh, okay. a new person there. And she's got a different yeah. name. Yeah. And this is in 1999-2000. So there's really no like Googling. There's, there's no not much Googling ago to be done. On Facebook. Yeah. yeah. He said as soon as they got married, she just completely changed. She mm. would have nights away with no explanation of where she'd been 
and she would be very emotionally demanding of him. He suspected her of cheating on him because when he asked where she was, she would make up a different story every time and completely denied completely denied the lying and the cheating so just like complete head fuck <laughs> so what's the po- what's the point of getting married if you're gonna just jump into doing that because it's just to see if you can isn't it it's just to see if you can get them to marry so. you yeah like and weddings are fun <sighs> i wouldn't everyone's know like so <laughs> <laughs> everyone's celebrating you good for you you know (laughs) yeah we get it um you've been to weddings they're fun (laughs) they are fun they are fun yeah but hers doesn't sound very fun she only had fucking two people there anyway in 19 sorry then in late like later that year she got offered a temporary job in norway so she went to nor so she went to norway to work in norway even though she was married she was like see ya took a lover and then when he Mm -hmm. dumped her she went back to sean so she was like, I'm okay. off to Norway, I've got a lover, I'm breaking up with you, and then came back again. Poor guy. As soon as it, he is, I feel so bad for him. He looks a bit like Stephen Merchant, but like, shorter. Oh. <laughs> and then, again, the nights away started with no explanations. Mm. And Sean was offered a job in Lancashire. I don't know how far away that is from Leeds, I'll have to Google it, which I can't be fucked to do right now, because I'm right in the middle of the story. But, <laughs> right, so... Emily basically said to him, if you take that, if you take that job, it's over. So he was like, okay, well, I'm taking the job. So it's over. So he, he got some balls and got out of there. So good for you. Good for him. Good for you, Sean. Find a woman who deserves you. Yes. So there's a man called Simon Thorpe now um, in Leeds. And this is her ex-boyfriend. And she got back in contact with him when she broke up with Sean and she said that she, she, sorry, right, she's, she's in the documentary. She mm. insists that Simon Thorpe, her ex-boyfriend, is like the love of her life. And that okay. none of these other marriages meant anything. It's only <laughs> Simon that she loved, right? Okay. So Simon Thorpe was her ex-boyfriend and she got back in contact with him. And she said, she, and in, in, oh, she's just, you know, like on the psychopath test, you know, on the psychopath test, there's like glibness is one of the yes. signs that you're a psychopath, like really yeah. superficial charm. Like yes. you're trying to put on a front to seem charming or intelligent or whatever. Right. So she goes, I really stoically, she goes, I was in love with him from the first moment that I saw him. It's just so cringe. And. Uh. She told him that she was leaving Leeds, actually, and that she was heading for the Lake District because she got offered a job there. So in the documentary that I watched, right, she go, they've got Sean in one... Sorry, they've got Simon in one interview room that they're, like, telling his, yeah. telling his side of the story. And then there's her on her side of the room telling her side of the story. And she goes, Simon told me, don't go. I love you. And then it cuts to Simon. And then Simon goes, nope, didn't say that at all. I didn't love her before I was in a relationship with her, and I think she was attractive in her own way. <laughs> the end, amen. He's literally like, nope, didn't happen. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's just really funny. So then later that evening, she told Simon that she was in love with him, and Simon said they could give it a go, even though she was moving, because he said that he, you know, he really got on with her um, as a person. 
Like mm-hmm. she was like good to talk to, but again, it's that she superficial. She's attractive in her own way. Attractive in her, I'll poke your fire <laughs> if I don't have to look at the mantelpiece yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah, basically, he said he'd give it a go. So he visited her in the Lake District, and they began a passionate relationship. He said he loved her in his own way, and it wasn't okay. the all-consuming love that she made it out to be. AKA, she would blow you any minute of the day, is what I got yeah. from yeah. his speech. <laughs> what I got from him was, she would let me do her up the arse any which way. Like it, <laughs> He was like, it was a very passionate relationship. It was a very sexual relationship. Yes. Like, so they just fucked 24-7. Is the... And he was fine with that, and she was like, I'm in love. Yeah, that's basically yeah. what I got from it. And yeah. later on, somebody else kind of um, confirms that that's how she kind of... That's how she got these ma- these men to marry her, is that she would just, like, overwhelm them in the bedroom and just be like, mm. yeah, we'll fuck whenever you want. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of her... That's her... Um, okay. M.O. She gave notice on her job and she was like, I want to be with you. So she um, moved to Simon's Simon's parents' house with Simon. And luckily, Simon's parents had an annex. So it was kind of like a flat that was just attached to the house. So Mm -hmm. they kind of had their own place to live. And she noticed that Simon was really into literature. So she studied it and would try and have deep, meaningful conversations with him. (laughs) And she, again, she's on camera going... You know, he loved um, he loved Keats, and I kind of love like the more original Renaissance stuff. Uh, like she's just saying words, <laughs> like she's in her own world. She's to fucking deluded. This like romantic story, and he's just like, nope. Yeah. So like he that. said. Um, so then again, like it cuts to her being like, yeah, we had these amazing deep conversations. It was so great. And then it cuts to him and he goes, well, we tried to have deep conversations with her, but I couldn't get a word in edgeways. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just absolutely doing her that. on the <laughs> The way the documentary's cut is gold. I love so that. She told him that her sister had died of a drugs overdose. Simon had met that sister. So he was really upset when he heard about this. So he asked for the day off work and they had a chat where she said, don't tell anyone what's happened. I don't want anyone to know that she died of a drugs overdose because obviously it's quite private. So Was it true? Well, um, the day before... (laughs) The day day before the funeral, he told his mum... because She said, don't tell anyone, but he said, I I told my mum because I wanted her to look after her. He said, yeah. I, I asked her to look after Emily because he had to go to work. So when he got back from work, he said to his mum, how's Emily? And his mum said, she never left the house today. So he went and asked Emily about the funeral and she said, oh, it was awful and like gave all this detail. Oh. And then he confronted her and was like, you're a fucking liar. you like, you never went. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's the start of the breakdown of their relationship yeah um in so the documentary makers ask her like in defense of this and she said um but well honestly she's so like serious when she's talking she's like Mm -hmm. well from the age of 18 to 25 my only family was my friends and so the person who died was someone that i viewed like as a sister so when i said my sister that's who i meant okay it's like dude you you know what you're doing yeah 
you fucking know what you're doing. In the year 2000, Emily and Simon bought a house together in Leeds, and then shortly afterwards, they broke up. Okay. Because he was just like, you're a fucking crazy liar. So she ran back into her previous husband, Sean. So the guy... Sorry, this is quite hard to follow. Sean is the one that she left for... Norway, Norway and then came back to yes and then he went to Lancashire yes so yeah. she ran into him again so he's in a bit of a state he'd lost his job and he was really depressed and he was about to lose his house oh, basically no. the the breakdown of his marriage and everything had just left him really vulnerable so yeah. he told Emily about this and she said that she was with someone new called Chris Barrett who was a 21 year old web designer And she offered to move into the house with her new lover and pay the mortgage for Sean for a few months until he got back on his feet. What? So Chris and Emily moved into the top room of his house. No. So Chris didn't know that Sean and Emily used to be married, but she's telling Chris Barrett that the old husband is actually just an ex-boyfriend. Okay. So, yeah, because that's less weird. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's probably because she wants to marry this man again. Oh, so no. she's, do you know? <laughs> so with him, she used the name Emily Horn again, but this time she described herself as an account handler whose father was a retired army major. So she, with every new man, she just makes up a whole new backstory. Okay, basically, Emily then found out that well, found out in air quotes that she was mm-hmm. carrying her last husband Simon's baby. Because they were having an affair. <laughs> so what? They were still fucking while she's living in her ex ex-husband's ha- top floor <laughs> of his house with her new boyfriend. With her new boyfriend. What yeah. how do you keep track of all this, lady? Um, I don't know, but she I mean, fuck. So <laughs> either she lost the baby or had an abortion. I don't know which I don't know which one, but there is no baby, so okay, it could be a lie, or something yeah. could have actually happened, but there's no way of knowing because she tells so many it lies. Never happened. Yeah, I would guess it never happened. She then decided to marry Chris, as in the current boyfriend, oh because my she, gosh. in her own words, wanted to be with Simon and make him jealous, and she said Chris was an innocent bystander, so. She's like, I'm getting married to Chris. And Simon is like, give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she said she was going to have a party at Sean's house, like the wedding reception. Okay. And he said, okay, well, I'll make myself scarce because I don't really want to be there because that's like weird. Yeah. Um, and then Sean realized that she wasn't just having a party, that it was like a wedding reception. So when he was at the party, he was like, oh, hey, everybody. Like, I'm just going to make myself scarce. And they were like, congratulations to the new couple. And he was like, what? (laughs) And they're not even divorced. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So it it was then that Sean realized that she was committing bigamy and he broke down crying and ran upstairs. Oh. So he is a mess right now. Yeah. But she's paying his mortgage. So he's just... (laughs) Big fat doing it anyway. It's fucking honestly keeping track of it is so difficult. So right, so this was in like the year two thousand or two thousand and one. Yeah. Okay. So then Emily, (laughs) 
Then she left Chris, the latest husband, because she got a job offer in Ipswich. Where hey, where you used to live. Hey. In 2002. <laughs> she didn't say goodbye. She simply just left. She just left. Okay. Um, Up and left. Yeah. On the train to her new job, she met no. her next husband-to-be, James. No. No. <laughs> right? Husband number four. So she went for a coffee with him, and then they, and then she went back to his flat, and then she just never left. <laughs> and then they got married four weeks after meeting. No. What? And I'll tell you this. He's a train inspector, conductor type man. Okay. And he looks like a train inspector, conductor type man. Like, no woman has Aww. ever given him this attention in his entire life. <laughs> That's why they got married after four weeks. Aww. So she proposed to him. He was 34. Um, she proposed to him by text message, and then they got married in the church. No. She won. Yeah. So she wanted to get married. So this is James talking on the documentary. You and know again, what to do. Is that what <laughs> you she texted what him? To do, probably. <laughs> um, so again, she wanted to get married very quickly. And James was okay with this because he thought he found somebody who really wanted to be with him. So he was like, yeah, cool. So on the documentary, they interview James. And he says she was extremely sexually liberated and was happy to suggest, do or try absolutely anything in the bedroom. Wow. So of so course again, he married he her four weeks he's later. He jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> He thinks he's in the jackpot. Like, he is so sex drunk. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then um, shortly after they got married, James found out that Emily was working as an escort. She was also working as a glamour model and appearing in adult films. So glamour wow. model is just getting your tits out, basically. She said that he knew that she was working as a glamour model and the documentary makers ask her, well, did he know you were working as an escort? And she's like, well, it's no different. And they're like, yes, it is. Because that's obviously... a conversation you need to have with your partner before you... Husband? Assume. <laughs> yeah. She's like, it's the same thing. I didn't need to explain it. And they're like, you really do. So Yeah, you do. He found all this out. Obviously, he's very upset. So after four months of marriage... Emily left James heartbroken and she just moved in with one of his friends. So I feel so bad for these just trail of men heartbroken. <laughs> trail of chaos broke. in her wake. Yes. <laughs> right. Across so, England. Yeah, so J James in in his defense, he decided not to take it lying down. And he dug a okay. bit deeper. Good. And then he found out that she was already married to someone else. So he confronted her, and then she confessed to him that she was actually married to three other men. So he gathered information about this and gave it to the police. And she wow. was sentenced to six months in prison for bigamy in 2004. Wow. Good job, James. So, yeah, good for you, James. Right. So she gets out of prison. Okay. It's not over. Right. So <laughs> she needs to make a living. So she's working in a massage parlor. In air quotes, massage parlour. Yes. Like a yeah. happy ending massage parlour. It was there that she met 25-year-old salesman Ashley Barker in Oldham in May in 2007. And okay. his his friend had paid for the massage for him for his birthday. Obviously, they ended up having sex. And then she announced mm -hmm. that she was pregnant, which was a bit of a surprise because she told Ashley that she couldn't get pregnant. Never okay. believe women who say that to you, okay? No. <laughs> if any men out there are listening... 
Doesn't matter. Don't believe them. Or guys. <laughs> guys who say, like, oh, no. I'm my, sterile. Mine or doesn't work. Yeah. I, well, don't like, work. you know, sometimes lightning strikes twice. Like, you never know. Just yeah. be careful. They married only a few months later in September. Okay. None of her family were there. And she of wore course. a black she wore a black top and jeans. <laughs> Just bored. Oh. Just bored of no. wedding dresses now. <laughs> I've done this so many times. I don't need and to dress up. There's a picture of them kissing on the wedding day and like she's in a black top and jeans and he's just in like jeans and a top. Like it's just, and there's no one there. It's just bizarre. So they headed to their honeymoon in Scotland and then she she started crying on the train and she confessed to him that this marriage isn't, so fucking sad. This marriage isn't legal, but it is in my heart. Oh, barf. So despite this, he stayed with her. He's like 25 though. Aww. So how old is she at this point? Okay, so he, she he's 25 in 2007 and mm-hmm. she was born in 1978. So that's two, so she's 2 so in So she's almost 30. Fuck me, that's a quick math. Well done, Rach. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so despite this he stayed with her. And um, throughout their relationship, she said that she had migraines, womb cancer, and other health problems. Um, just faking health migraines, problems. Sure, womb sure, cancer. Get, yeah, it's, it's a bit worse. Um, she yeah. just, like a, just basically just like this plethora of made up stuff that she said she yeah. had, and she also said that if he left her, she'd kill herself. So okay, she's obviously she's obviously like really manipulative when she's in the relationships as well. Yeah. So. In 2009, her story was shown on an episode, and this is a documentary I watched, and I would very much recommend it. It's on YouTube. It's called The Bigger Miss Bride, My Five Husbands. Okay. And it's on, like, a YouTube channel called Real Love, and all the rest of the stories are really nice, <laughs> and this is the only one that's horrible. And I was like, I was like, oh, Carly, we found a good YouTube channel. Like, let's look. And it was like, ooh, bride doesn't like her dress and stuff. And I was like, what? That's... Who cares? So anyway, I wonder how they got that. That like, that's not on brand for them to tell a story about bigamists. No, real love. This is not real love. (laughs) Anyway, it's a fucking great documentary, and she she, you want to show you want to like throw your shoe at the TV about twenty (laughs) five times whenever she talks. I can't wait. It's horrific. It's horrific. Like she goes, yeah. Like the documentary goes. Documentary maker says to her, some people say that you're um, sort of quite cold and sort of don't really care. And she goes, I only cry when I'm on my own or in the rain. <laughs> I cry. I'm going to say I'm that next time. <laughs> or in the rain. You fucking cunt. It's, oh God. What are you, 10? <clears throat> You ten years old. Even a ten year old realised that is really embarrassing. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck she's on, but it's uh, oh god, right? So, and in that documentary, right? So it's by Channel Four, um, and in yeah. that documentary, uh, she says right at the beginning, they've just got this clip of her saying the blokes were led by their pricks, and as my father says, more fool them. That's her attitude to the whole thing. Okay. Which, it's not untrue. 
but you didn't have to pressure them to marry you like every no. time or manipulate them or lie to them about being she... pregnant or your sister dying or oh, your dad dying cancer dad yeah. is very much alive sister is very much alive and in fact okay. don't you... yeah, yeah no yeah they're both alive yeah um so in june 2009 she was charged again and this time it was in manchester and the court passed sentence on the 27th of July. During the trial, they heard that her mental state was affected by the death of her sister when she was 18. So okay. she's got two sisters. One of them's alive mm. and one of them died. Paul Hodgkinson, defending, said her decision-making was affected by her mental health. I'd say so. Um, yeah. She is an attention seeker and she is a lady with emotional problems, but she has had to put up with a great deal of trauma in her life. She is sorry for what she's done and she is sorry for the pain she's caused to the men and their families. I'll tell you this. I watched a documentary. She did not say sorry once. I don't believe that for one second. She doesn't say sorry once and she says they were led no. by their pricks more for them. Yeah. She's not sorry. Judge Mushtaq Kokar sentenced her to a 10-month suspended sentence after he was told that Horn suffered from bipolar disorder and was receiving medical treatment to cure her impulsive behaviour. Okay, so she that's didn't good at even, least. She didn't even get any jail time the second time. Okay. The judge said that he decided not to jail her because she had made progress in the last six months since being prescribed with medication for her personality disorder. So she was given a 10-month jail sentence, which is suspended for two years, which basically means in those two years she can't do anything wrong. Don't marry okay. anyone else, for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep it in your pants. Yeah. The next June in 2011, she left Ashley for a colleague who was um, a 27-year-old IT worker called Stuart Allen. 25-year-old Ashley, he's devastated. And his family are like, thank fuck she's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, dude, you're better off without her. Like, his sisters are in the documentary, but he isn't. Um, because he's, like, too embarrassed. But his sisters are yeah. like, she is crackers. Um, however... Ashley needn't have, needn't have worried, as although the couple quickly became engaged, Emily went on holiday to America and never came back. <laughs> what? No. So she's here? Uh, oh, no, no. She does come back in the end. So, okay. Stu so Stuart, who's the guy she left Ashley for, yeah. they got engaged but never actually got married. So Stuart was really smitten with Emily, but he learned mm. that she hadn't, in fact, so she said, I'm going to America to visit my dad. That wasn't true. She'd actually yeah. gone to meet a man that she'd met online. Oh, no. He was a married policeman called Fred Miller. Oh. Sorry, no, he wasn't married. Sorry, he was single. But um, she okay. went there to, to marry him. So she's like, okay. I'm coming to America to marry you. <laughs> However... Marriage number six fell apart just days into the couple's honeymoon in Ireland. She came back to the UK and she left Fred Miller and then she met Craig Hadwin online. And Stop I can't it. find... I know. <laughs> Stop marrying people. <laughs> yes. So I can't find any more information than this. And if anyone else can, then I'm fascinated. But it just says she met Craig Hadwin online and tricked him into a fake marriage ceremony in Scotland. That's all I can find. I don't know oh. what tricking him into a fake marriage ceremony means. Yeah. I don't know what that entails. What happened? I don't know. And I'm dying to know, but I don't know. But anyway, 
2011, she was arrested because she was trying to obtain prescription drugs by wearing a bag by wearing baggy clothes, football shorts, and posing as her seventh husband, Craig. What? Yeah, so she was trying to go to the doctors as him and mm. get prescription drugs. <laughs> okay. I think that's why she's cut her hair weird. <laughs> oh, okay. So anyway, she was found guilty and she was due to be sentenced on the 20th of January 2012, but the verdict was postponed pending a psychiatric evaluation, which I think is fair. Um, yes. So on the 20th of March 2012, she was handed a 12-month community order with with supervision, and the judge also imposed a 28-day electronic tag curfew from 7pm to 7am. So uh-huh. at the moment... Right. This is so. This is yeah. the last sentence, and this is all. This is all I know about her. This is the last thing I okay. found out. She changed her name legally, and she's no longer known as Emily Horn. She's now known as Maxine Acastes Quiber Baron. <laughs> what? Quiberberon, I think is how you say the last name. <laughs> she's she's still just, in a relationship. Is that just a mashup of all of the men's last names? Maybe I don't know. I don't know where she's got that from. Maxine, where did that come from? Maxina Castes, which is like double-barreled. Maxina yeah. Castes Quiberberon is her now her legal name. She's still in a relationship with Craig, so marriage number seven stuck. Craig and they are living in a disused pub in Somerset. Which is wow. near me, Bristol Way. Near you? <gasps> oh, we could go. find her. We should yes. go. It's, dis- it's a disused pub. I wish it was functioning. I would so go there. <laughs> I wonder. That- I have family in Somerset. Maybe I'll see if they know them. Because they and know everyone. that is everyone a story of there. mentalist Emily Horn. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the worst okay. bigamist in Britain. The- I want to know... She's met all these different... She started meeting men online. Is she on Tinder? Is she on Bumble? She's got We should to have... search for that name. Yeah. Or yeah. Well, it could be any name. I guess. She should be banned. I'm going to research into it. Yeah. Do you know what? Banned we, from I've been making saying... any kind of, like, Tinder profile, plenty of fish. Uh, Match.com. What else? Match. Hinge. <laughs> All of Bumble. that. Bumble. Like, yeah. I've been I've been saying, I think I've said this, and I'm not sure why, but I think I've said this about three times this week. Like, it's not illegal to be a big fucking liar, even though it should be. Yes. <laughs> okay, like, it is illegal to marry multiple people, and it is illegal to defraud people out of money, but it's not illegal to be a bullshitter. Yeah. Which it should be, which but sucks. it isn't. Because if it was, there'd be a lot more people in prison than there are now. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh! How oh oh Rachel, watch documentary. You just want to punch her in the face so I much. Will... It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, oh man, that that's a that was a great story. I I was so happy when I found it. I was like, she is, <laughs> she's just a fucking nutty other squirrel shit. She's just yeah. insane, and she doesn't see it at all. Every lie that you confront her with, or that they confront her with in this documentary, she's just got an excuse for it of, she's of like, course she does she's like no because this means this or yeah no that's the same thing like she just she lies with no effort whatsoever yeah and it's really easy to see how she hooked in so many people right and she's just in her own world so she has the logic for it wow all the mums and all the sisters, though, can smell her bullshit immediately. <laughs> like, 
all the blokes are like, I'm You're in not love pregnant. with her. Yeah, yeah, and all the women are like, pregnant me bollocks. Absolutely not. Thank God you broke up with him. Also, it sounds like she leaves the men. Like, none of the men actually, other than Simon... Which yeah, is the probably original. why she's like, he's the love of my life because he's the one who left me. Um, They never got married. And I think that's why she was so in love with him because he wouldn't right. marry her. The one that got away. She, she couldn't get him. Yeah. And he's the best looking out of all of them. He's not great, but he's the best looking. Okay. <laughs> so she is furious. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we're going to go into... The completely opposite direction. We're going to talk about a guy who is a pretty bad guy. And bigamy was just a small part of the things that he did. So uh, we're going to go to the 1800s. Albert Horsley was born March 18th, 1866 in Wooler, Ontario, Canada. He was one of eight children and he only attended school until he was about eight years old. Uh, when he was able to start working and help provide for his family. Albert worked as a farmhand for neighbors, either on a daily or monthly basis, with his parents receiving the income from his work until he was about 20 years old. Imagine, 8 years old till 20. Fucking hell. just got a regular day job. Four. 10 years old, coming home going, God, today at work was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> God, Pour my boss is really up my ass. <laughs> Slamming a briefcase on the table. <laughs> Mum, get me a shot of bourbon. Today's been <laughs> a fucking mare. <laughs> so he's working till he's 20. At the age of 22, Horsley left home to work as a logger in Michigan. He returned to Canada where he worked as a cheesemaker and ran a cheese factory. It was there that he married his first wife. Also, in all of these, I could not find any of the names for any of his wives, which is well, disappointing. Well, women didn't matter before exactly. 1960, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> before we could vote, it was we basically, didn't It matter. was basically just a fucking minge with legs, so don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> a baby machine. Yeah. So he married her around 1889, and they had a daughter together. Once his daughter was born, he was like, nope. I don't want to do this. And he moved his wife and daughter away from the cheese factory. And according to him later on, he said he began living beyond his means. Uh, he started gambling and partying. I was just about nights. to say living beyond my means means is, is code for gambling. If yes. I've heard enough crime stories, and I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right. And remember a couple of episodes ago, I talked about how they... Back, it was like this time around the late 1800s where that weird card game where everyone cheated and there was gambling. I think it was called Pharaoh, yeah. F-A-R-O. Yeah. He was playing that. That was one of his favorite games and okay. he was just losing money left and right. Like cups in Friends. Yeah. Just yeah. made up. <laughs> just a made up just game. Just made up. Everyone's making up games. Or You're making too up pissed rules. to remember if you won or lost, yeah. so I win. <laughs> yeah, it just reminds me of being a kid, and it's like you you join up with your sister, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a rule. And then later on, you're like, no, that's not a rule anymore because you did this. Yeah. Oh, someone fucked me over. New rule. 
So he was doing that. New so... rule, you lose everything. <laughs> yeah. New rule, get out my room. <laughs> exactly. You lost the king, so that means that you have to sleep on the floor tonight. <laughs> and I want your lunch money tomorrow. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> so he's out gambling and partying. He soon meets another woman and he began hatching a plan to burn down his cheese factory and collect the insurance money to pay off his debts. Okay, I mean, it's not the first we've heard and it's not the worst crime yeah. we've heard as long as there's no one in the cheese factory. It's a waste of good cheese, but I'll let that yeah. go. It probably smelled delicious as it was Yeah, happening. fuck. <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> um, I know you need to put this fire out, but is there any time for me to get a roasted camembert? <laughs> yeah. Can I just get a handful right now? I brought some crackers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he burns down the cheese factory collects the insurance money and he abandons his wife and child with the this new woman and they run off together west they head west to pilot bay in canada so they spend three months together they get married and then he abandons her oh okay well that wasn't long seems to be a bit of a trend though three months he's here for a good time not a long time (laughs) right I feel like it was probably as soon as someone says they're pregnant or any mention of children, he nopes out of there. Okay. So I feel like that happened, although there was no mention of any child in that marriage, the second one. Yeah. But that sounds about right, doesn't it? After three months, you'd be like, I'm definitely pregnant. Like, there's no pregnancy tests in the 1800s, but after three missed periods, you're like, okay, definitely. Yeah. My belly is big. I'm feeling really crabby. I'm hungry. And he's like, Tit- nope, don't want to deal hurt, with my this. My tits hurt, my feet are massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. On to the next one. Yeah. yeah. So then he, so he's in Canada, then he heads down back into America. He goes to Spokane, Washington, where he worked for a short time. And then he goes to Idaho, which is not too far away, where he works steadily delivering milk. Uh, okay. There he was able to work and save some money. He was... Being a good person or a good guy for a little bit, and he saved up a little bit of money and he paid off his debts. Okay, and that's good. He was able to invest five hundred dollars into a silver mine, and that was in eighteen ninety seven. Five hundred dollars is a fucking lot of money, right? Yeah. So it sounds like he was really good at making money. He was a hard worker. He would just spend it all. But this time he was being smart about it. By 1899, he had fallen into gambling again. So that was two years after he had invested his money. And he had to sell his shares for the mine. And he had to take a job as a mucker or a shoveler in the mines and even though that's a well-paid job it's one of the lowest paying jobs in mining and it's one of the most demanding you're basically Sounds like shoveling rocks work. all day exactly so during this time he was still gambling and womanizing losing most of his money he also went by a different name harry orchard so when i was researching it it kept going back and forth like some articles were saying harry orchard and some articles were saying Albert Horsley. So I'm just going to keep calling him They're Horsley. completely different. Also, I know. A, there's similarities here. A lot of moving around, a lot of name changing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Leave the person quickly. Yes. Noping out of there, getting new jobs, 
probably lying about his past life. So around this time, he joined the Miners Union, the Western Federation of Miners. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Western Federation of Miners Union or the WFM. So he became a part of them. At this time, unions were kind of starting because it was the Industrial Revolution in America and the WFM were becoming like a militant group. They were becoming Mm -hmm. violent and angry and they were joining together. So in the few years prior, miners and mill workers in that part of the country were striking due to the increase of work hours from 8 to 10 and then 10 to 12 hours. Wow. As well as lowering the wages for mill workers uh, compared to miners. So the mill workers and the miners were all joining together. By the spring of 1903, the WFM was the most militant labor organization in the country, and they had already had a few violent strikes, and by 1903, it was in full force. So they were planting bombs, they were fighting the police, they were fighting their bosses, and Horsley, because he was already a gambler, he had already gotten into, like, doing bad things. So he already knew how to, like, burglarize. He would steal wherever he went. He would steal from the railroad, the cash registers at the railroads and the shops. Uh, He Mm -hmm. would go to rural areas. He would steal sheep and resell them. Uh, And he would even, like, he made plans to kidnap children to, like, Uh collect ransom money to pay off his gambling debts. However, yeah. He was doing he was saying that it was for the union. That's what he was telling people. That he was doing these things as like I don't care a, who it's for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So nineteen oh three, they were doing violent strikes. He's stealing, he's planning to kidnap, he's possibly doing violent things, although it's not completely sure if he was planting bombs or not. Okay. And this led to the what is known as the Colorado Labor Wars. Uh, he was a large part of the strikes and the violence that occurred in Cripple Creek in Colorado and then in Idaho. And they had made plans to derail a train coming through Colorado and planting bombs in several spot- spots around Cripple Creek. And then again, they had also planned to kidnap children from opposing mine owners and businessmen. <gasps> No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. So the government deeply opposed the strikes and all the businessmen. And that year, they sent in the National Guard to fight and imprison some of the striking members of the WFM. Hundreds of Idaho miners were held for months of imprisonment in a bullpen, which was a structure unfit to house cattle enclosed in high barbed wire fences so they like hundreds of miners whether they were fighting the military or not they were just shoved in there some of the miners never having been charged for any crimes were eventually allowed to go free while others were prosecuted hundreds more remained in the makeshift prison without charges so i'm just telling this to set the scene like he is part of the union and people are really angry and fighting and it is he's the just wild using west. that it, <laughs> it kind of it's is wild. but it's also the 
It's also the Industrial Revolution. It's also the rise of government money, like that kind of power money, you know. This is a good smokescreen for whatever the fuck he's about to do, is what you're, is what you're yeah. saying, basically. Like he's, yes, he's, exactly. he's operating under chaos, yes. so he's less likely yeah. to be caught. Okay. Yeah. And he's using all of this as like, oh yeah, I'm doing it part of the union, but really he's just trying to pay off his gambling debts. Okay. So Frank Stunenberg was the governor of Idaho during those years, and he was part of the men who declared martial law against the WFM. Sorry, there's a really loud car outside, just burning rubber. <laughs> Do you live in wacky sounds- races? <laughs> Do you hear that? It sounds like they're doing donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Rach, I'm going to be honest with you. Your neighborhood has gone way downhill. <laughs> it has. You were like, In the past, oh, this neighborhood like, is so weeks. nice. And then like, I get a message going, somebody got robbed. And then the next thing, yeah. somebody's doing donuts. <laughs> like <Yeah>. Rachel. <laughs> 20 gunshots down the street. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Rach, I um, think you were missold. <laughs> I think so. I still like my neighbors, though. They're nice. Okay. Anyways. As long as they got guns. Other than the donuts. <laughs> yeah. So Frank Sternenberg, he was the governor during all this happening. Prior to his ordering the military for assistance with the strikes, he was on the side of the unions. So that's how he kind of became governor, because the members of the union voted for him, and they thought he yeah. was on their side. And yeah. so he had made a special request to the president to send in military on the strikes and that was seen as a betrayal so a lot of the union guys hated him okay after his term finished as governor Stunenberg stayed in idaho still working with the government horsley at the time he attempted several times to assassinate Stunenberg uh by planting bombs and they weren't successful until in 1905, five years after Stunenberg had left his position as governor, in the week between Christmas and New Year's, Stunenberg had spent several days in Boise, Idaho, on business, and he returned on Friday the 29th, where he stopped off at Saratoga Hotel to talk with friends before returning home. Stunenberg had been seen sitting in the hotel, so Horsley retrieved an already made bomb from his room he was staying at another hotel and he rushed out to Stunenberg's hotel to set it about a dozen blocks away on his way back to the hotel he ran into Stunenberg and they had a conversation Stunenberg returned to his hotel where he had been seen sitting and the explosion occurred shortly after Horsley was seen running to his hotel so the fatal Walk bomb quickly. Was... Don't run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a little sketchy. Looks a little off to everyone. So the fatal bomb was detonated by rigging the gate so that as it was opened, a bottle of sulfuric acid was spilled onto giant blasting Whoa. caps. A blasting cap also exploded in Horsley's pocket as he was back in his room. So they it was like clear, like they saw him running and he had one of those caps in his own pocket. So it was like this, this guy did work. It. <laughs> yeah. 
He stayed at the hotel that weekend until he was arrested on Monday. Studenberg was killed. Oh, dear. Horsley at first claimed innocence, Only but after him, solitary... No, there was no casualty. No one else killed. Or was he it, like, was or was just it just him. Like... Well, we're going to talk a little bit more okay. about the other things that he's done. It was also because, well, he's a bigamist and he's a gambler, so Horsley is a liar. So yeah. for him to, for well, first he said he was innocent, but after solitary confinement and intense interrogation and facing the death penalty, Horsley signed a 64-page typewritten confession detailing Christ, that the must years. have been boring. <laughs> Detailing the years of being a paid assassin and dynamiter for the WFM. Mm, don't know if I believe him. Yeah. It sounds a bit bullshitty. Horse- <laughs> I think you're right. Horsley claimed he was hired to kill Stunenberg by leadership of the WFM, and he had been in previous jobs that resulted in at least 17 other deaths in which he had set bombs in several other mines and locations. So he admitted in that 64-page account that he had set other bombs that ended up killing a total of 17 people, including Stunenberg. Bombs go off in mines all the time, though, don't they? <laughs> yeah, but I think you could tell when it's an accident and when it's a set. set. Yeah. Like, if someone set it off to be tripped by a gate or, you know, if yeah. they had something in their pocket. Well, I guess he's kind of clever guy because, I mean, he didn't fucking go to school since he was yeah. eight. And he still knows how right. to make a bomb. A pretty yeah. successful bomb. Yeah. With no internet, no books. Well, maybe books. But this must just be word of mouth because this is like 1800 and he's making successful bombs so right yeah he's not stupid he's not stupid he knows how to make money he gambles pretty much for a living yeah and he convinces women to marry them he sounds like he could have been a very charming manipulating manipulating man Uh uh-huh so during his trial two years later in june 1907 uh for several days Horsley recounted from the stand in a polite, precise, and matter-of-fact, unhesitating way his career as a Union terrorist. He also confessed to being a bigamist, admitting that he had left several wives from Canada to Cripple Creek. Canada to Cripple Creek. That's hard to say. (laughs) Say that three times. (laughs) Yeah. Prosecution fought that Horsley was not just paid by the Union to commit these violent acts, but that Horsley had chosen to do them on his own because he had a specific beef with Governor Stunenberg. If Stunenberg had not sent in troops to fight the Union, Horsley would not have had to sell his share. Remember I mentioned he, he invested $500 into a yeah. silver mine? Mm-hmm. That he had to end up selling because of his gambling. So yeah. they were arguing that that was the reason why he was so angry with Stunenberg, and that's why he did it, and not because the union paid him to do it. He just had this ongoing hatred because if he had not sold his the money, those shares, he would yeah. have been very rich by then. Okay. Which, of course, was not the case. 
because Horsley had gambled away most of his money. It wasn't because of the military coming in and fighting the unions. No, nah, he had to sell his shares. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. However, he did blame the ex-governor for his problems, and prosecution brought in five witnesses to prove so, who told of Horsley's anger and contempt for the ex-governor leading up to his murder. So, then he had his defense team. They presented that, so his defense team presented what they claimed was startling new evidence about insanity in Horsley's family, including a grandfather who needed to be, in quotes, chained up, and an uncle who went insane. Horsley so admitted that, well, they're saying that it runs in the family. So they're, yeah. they're trying to convince that he has some of this insanity in him. Nice try, uh, but he I'm admitted not that, yeah, me neither. He admitted that one of his uncles was demented over family <laughs> problems and that he had hanged himself, but testified to knowing nothing about his maternal grandfather who died before his birth. So that was his defense. That was their uh, that is uh, weak as fuck plan. Yeah. Fremont Wood, the presiding judge, was highly impressed by the way Horsley held up under prolonged and severe cross-examination in, he's a in his psychopath. trial. Yeah, he sounds like similar to yours, Emily. He's like just straightforward, like, this is my reality. This is no how problem things happen. I can yeah. lie to you on the dime. Confident, like, yeah. straightforward. Uh, and so the judge believed Horsley's testimony to be true. In Wood's experience, in the judge's experience, no one could have fabricated such convoluted stories covering many years in many locations, including so many different people, and withstand such thorough cross-examination without mentally contradicting himself. You wow. can if you're a psychopath. Yes, you can. you can. They just didn't know that then, I suppose. Probably not. Uh, the judge later wrote that the prosecution case did not convincingly corroborate Horsley's testimony, but that the witnesses put on the defense actually did a better job corroborating Horsley than the prosecution had done. The prosecution relied on Horsley's testimony to make its case against the WFM leader. The defense maintained that Horsley had confessed to crimes he could not have committed. So it was just a mess. There was the union coming in saying one thing. There was Horsley. There was the government. Basically, just... the judge is like, I can't follow this story. He must be yeah. innocent. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm getting from this. He's telling it pretty I've confidently. He like, I've lost he's not there. sweating. Yeah. <laughs> no. He must be telling he the hasn't truth. Because I wasn't up. paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much going on. Yeah. But anyways, so despite all that, in March 1908, he received a death sentence in Idaho for the murder of Stunenberg. An appeal was made by the prosecution to Idaho governor, uh, to the new Idaho governor, urging the commutation of Horsley's death sentence for his previous cooperation in the trials of other union leaders. So because he co cooperated, then they were able to argue for him to not receive the death sentence. Okay. Instead, it was changed to life in prison, which was a decision largely criticized by the press at the time. Mm. 
So he was sent to prison. Shortly after receiving his sentence, he converted to Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, he became religious. His multiple pleas. Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Okay. Seventh-day Adventism. His multiple pleas for a pardon over, pardon over the years were all denied. He never recanted his confession, and in 1952, at 86 years of age and 45 years after his trial, Horsley wrote an autobiography that all oh, of his confession cares? and his <laughs> all of his confession <laughs> and his trial testimony were true. He wasn't lying. So I, maybe I'll add that autobiography to our book list if you want to read it. And, if and anyone wants to be make bored to fucking mind. tears about some old <laughs> yeah. white guy. Yeah. Also, during all this, I just think it's sad. When I was Googling famous bigamist, he was one that kept coming up. And that's why I did his story. But there's barely anything about his actual marriages, bigamy. It's all about his murder and his crimes that he did under... Not uh, all the women he supposed... fucked along the way. Yeah, or maybe children that he might have. They've only ever mentioned one daughter. Yeah. Um. So there's this last little bit. Obviously, he didn't. He's not still alive. Horsley died in the state penitentiary on April thirteenth, nineteen fifty four, aged eighty eight, <gasps> over forty eight years after his arrest. After Jeez. his sentencing in March 1908, he served more than 46 years at the old Idaho State Penitentiary, uh, wow. and that was its longest ever term. He was the longest person to stay there. Wow. He is buried in Morris Hill Cemetery in Boise. As a trustee, he had lived outside the prison walls in a small house for most of his later years, tending the prison's poultry flocks. But he was brought back after he had suffered suffered a mild stroke a year earlier. Horsley was bedridden for his last three months and in a coma for his last days. And that is the story of Albert Horsley, a.k.a. Harry Orchard, the bigamist and union terrorist. Well, to be fair, it sounds like he had a pretty crappy last 48 years of his life. <laughs> like... <laughs> That sounds fucking shit, boring, like, you're never going anywhere, you're never going on holiday, like, you probably yeah. didn't have sex with a woman again, you... Probably not. Didn't have a family and grandchildren, like, you didn't... Well, he, I know he's a selfish fucker, so he doesn't really care, but... Yeah. That's kind of an it argument, is. like, against the death sentence, isn't it? Like, that sounds like right. a really boring long drawn out last 48 years <laughs> that is that's what you want for somebody who committed murder it's like you're gonna sit here for the next 50 years and you're gonna think about what you've done 50 years like i'm 33 yeah. the thought of doing this all over again oh no to get to 66 you. fucking hell <laughs> like, yeah i'm not being ungrateful Another 20 years right <laughs> i'm not being ungrateful but this has been a bit of a slog <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so that was the, the, he's the crappy, I mean, other than being a bigamist, he sounds like a horrible person anyway. Good he's riddance. definitely a psychopath, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As is this fucking embarrassment Emily. of a woman that you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but also like, I remember people, 
when I was a bit younger and a bit less secure, like when they love bomb you and they're like, oh my God, yes. you're the most interesting person I've ever met. Like I'm into all the same stuff as you. Like yes. I can't live without you. Oh, yes. like all this stuff. Like now, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, God, you fucking loser. Get a life of your own. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but back then, well, this is that too much. Yeah, it would have definitely worked back then. It, it did work right. multiple times. Right. Yeah, So definitely. I totally get how people get drawn in and sucked in to... Especially, like, in your story, and probably in mine, too, people from small towns, people who weren't that popular, who maybe weren't that good-looking or very confident, yeah. and like somebody comes an in... in you. Yeah, exactly. And there's some excitement as well. There's it's not just showing interest, but it's like, ooh, here's like let's have sex. Whirlwind. Yeah. Yes. And people yeah. like as well, they can sniff out the vulnerable, you know. Right. They'll yeah. try it with one person and that person goes, Oh god, piss off, you're a bit intense. Yeah. And they try it yeah. with another person. It's just like fishing. Like they try it with another On person, that person bites. One. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And they're like, Whoa, got got a bite today. Yeah. 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 Bigger bigger me I think is a nice easy subject. It's d- doesn't ever get too heavy. Yeah. I want right, to do it again a- because there was a woman that I almost did, but her story was actually kind of sweet in the end. What? So How? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited <laughs> I don't to hear talk this. about it. I'm okay. going to save it for another episode. So okay. maybe uh we'll do this theme again at some point. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's interesting. There's okay. also, we've had a few requests if we can go uh, down under again to Australia. Yes. I've had two separate that. people message the podcast socials being like, can you do down under again? Amazing. So, yes, we will. Yeah. It's in the schedule. You, ask, I think you shall receive from us. Exactly this. And that is what I said. So that, yeah. it's in the schedule for a couple of weeks time. So we will do okay. that then for you. Oh Great. fuck, we have a new pa- we have a new Patreon as well. Oh yay! Yeah, let me just get the name. They're Americans, so you're gonna have to send the shit, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let me just find out their name. They are Elizabeth. I'm not gonna say your whole name because you probably don't want people to stalk you. But Elizabeth H, thank you so much. Um, a sticker we love and you. a postcard is on its way to you. We love you very much. You are yes. a good person. You've just bought yourself a seat in heaven. I'm not God. I you... can't guarantee that. But for the purposes and of this podcast, sticker. I am. <laughs> and you've earned a sticker and some extra content. And we love yeah. you. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We love all you all. of you are in a special place in my heart. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's yeah. talk again next week. All right, talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks, bye. <laughs>